0: Isaac Shade here, co-host of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Join Andy Patton and me every Monday as we break down all the buzzer-beating action, conference rivalry games, and need-to-know bubble matchups ahead of the NCAA tournament. Check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. No trap game for Gonzaga as they jump out to a huge lead and crush the Pilots of Portland, and Braden Huff's performance is very inspiring ahead of Saturday's game against Kentucky. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on there? Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Folks, right now, new customers who join today, you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more is a win. So visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Well, today is the NBA trade deadline. We are going to discuss what that might mean for the Zags in the league. But first, we got to break down this massive, massive victory for Gonzaga over the Pilots of Portland. 96. To 64 is the final score there. The Zagas jumped out to a 16 to 1 lead in the early part of this game, and they just never relented. They had a few sloppy parts uh, at points in this game. We will talk about those, but for the most part, this was a destruction on par with Gonzaga's win over LMU last week. That's two of their last three games where they have absolutely obliterated the opponents they have played. Yes. LMU and Portland are not particularly great teams, although LMU is not that bad uh, and certainly did not look like a good team in that game on Tuesday. Portland has been uh, on the struggle bus all year long. They were not fully healthy. Freshman Tyler Harris who's probably their second, maybe their best player, rather their second best player behind Tyler Robertson. Uh, he did not play. Harris did not. Uh, it was a late scratch with an ankle injury. He's been very good this year. So certainly that contributed. But this was a an all-around dominant performance from Gonzaga. And in particular, the thing that they have struggled with all year long was not a problem for them in this game. They shot 15 of 33 for three in this game. They made nine three pointers in the first half. They secured tacos for the crowd, which only happens when you get 10 made three pointers in a game. They secured tacos before the media, the first media timeout of the second half. That is how dominant the outside shooting was. And it started immediately. Gonzaga made four threes in the first two minutes of this game. Back to back to back to open up the game, all three different players. It was Nolan Hickman, Anton Watson, and Ben Gregg. It was 9 nothing, 16-1. Shante Leggins had to call two timeouts before the first media timeout. He burned two of his timeouts before there was even one break in the action in this contest. It was an absolutely uh, immediate, immediate result for Gonzaga. They came out ready to play. They came out gunning. They knew that Portland was going to play a defensive style that allowed them to get open looks from three, and they took them and they knocked them down. They did exactly what they needed to do. That was the story of the start of the game. The story of the rest of the game, the story of the second half of this game in particular, was Bradenhoff. We'll talk about it a little bit more in the second segment as we kind of go through our five keys to victory that we laid out before the game. But one of them was to see some more increased confidence from Braden Huff to get his momentum building for him going into this game against uh, Kentucky on Saturday. Braden Huff was phenomenal in this game. 25 points for him, 11 of 16 from the field. He also had seven rebounds and three assists. He was three of five from three, so he was knocking down his outside shots. Uh, he was fantastic, mostly in the second half, just getting in the basketball, letting him go to work. He's uh, good at reading the defense, good at knowing when to make his move, when to pump fake, when to kick it back out. Like you can tell his reads offensively have just dramatically improved. He's still got some issues with handling the actual basketball, uh, better defensive teams can kind of poke the ball away from him when he puts it on the deck, but his recognition, his basketball IQ, his his understanding of of when the double team's coming, how to get out of it, uh, what move to make when he's got a defender on his back, like the improvement he has made. Even from the beginning of the season, when he was phenomenal to start the year, he had like a, you know, he had 20 point games 15 point games coming off the bench, Throughout the first few weeks of the year, this may feel like, oh, he's just getting back to being that player, but he's a better version of that player. You can tell he's still got some issues defensively, and we will talk about that. That is a concern for Braden Huff. But offensively in this game, the growth, the development that we've seen from him, the ability to pick apart this defense and just dominate whenever he got the basketball is really, really encouraging to see. Outside of that, I mean, again, there's there's a lot to highlight here that was positive for Gonzaga in this game. They finished 56% from the field, 45.5% from three. There's only seven total free throws attempted in this game. Gonzaga was three of three, so I guess we'll count that as a positive as well. Anton Watson had a fantastic game, 20 points for him, five rebounds and four assists. He was nine of 11 from the field, two of three from deep, continuing to be that hyper-efficient, effective just kind of quietly dominant offensive player. He spoke to John Rothstein after the game uh, in a post game presser and basically said, Yeah, I, this team needs me to score. In the past, I haven't been needed to score. I've filled more of that glue guy role, but this year they need me to score. So I'm scoring great. That is exactly what Gonzaga needs from him. He is completely right that that is a role that he needs to embrace on this team. And in a game like this, where Gonzaga scores 96 points and and, has really good performances all around the board, it's still Anton Watson, who's dropping 20, who's doing it with the insane levels of efficiency. He's just quietly been that guy for Gonzaga all year long. I want to highlight some really nice minutes the Zags got from Luka Kranovich Coming off the bench as well, again, this has been a theme for the last couple of games, as, as Mark Few kind of promised, hey, Luke is going to get some more rotation minutes. He's going to be a bigger contributor for this team going forward, and we saw that against LMU, and then we saw it against St. Mary's. He played uh, in the first half against St. Mary's uh, to give Nolan Hickman a spell, something I wasn't sure We were actually going to see him. And in this one, we got to see quite a bit from him. He did some really nice stuff, seven points and five rebounds on three of four shooting for him. Uh, He had a really nice uh, transition. He stole a pass, got out in transition, little step around, um, step through move for him to get an easy bucket at the basket. Like those kind of moves, that kind of stuff, like when you're trying to, to earn more playing time. Showing what you're capable of doing in situations like that, you get a steal, get out in transition, get buckets that way like that is going to help kind of endear you to your coach, endear you to your teammates and continue to earn you more playing time. And And he made some mistakes. He had some a pretty ugly pass in, in the, an entry pass. The defense is still questionable at times, but he's a freshman. He's a freshman who, who missed a month of time. Like we're expecting those things to be things that, that take him a little bit of time. But the overall potential still feels very high for him. And, and the fact that few is starting to trust him in the rotation just a few weeks after he gets back from this injury is, is a really good sign uh, for this team. Uh, there was a few bad things I'll mention quickly. Uh, there was a pair of scoring droughts had a four-minute drought, kind of in the middle of the first half where they didn't score any points. Then they had a, a kind of a sloppy start to the second half. It's been something we've seen from, from Mark Few's teams in the past. Uh, usually, or sometimes it can cause an actual problem in terms of like, oh, we our lead evaporated and now we're in, a, in in trouble and that was not the case. This game was never remotely close. Occasionally, Portland got it within twenty, and that was literally the closest that it ever really got uh, in the second half. Portland did have a sixteen to seven scoring advantage uh, to start the second half before basically the Braden half show. I just chalk that up to to Leggins and and this coaching staff for UP making some kind of adjustment at halftime that Mark Few and the Zags weren't necessarily anticipating. It threw them for a little bit of a of a rhythm, uh, in part. Uh, for Portland's Juan Cicoracito had a, hit a couple of really pretty impressive, fairly well-defended threes that kind of helped Portland jump out to that early lead in the start of the second half. It wasn't anything that was ultimately all that concerning, but if we want to talk about negative things from the game, and we got to be a little nitpicky when it's a 32-point victory uh, in a game, the Zags jumped out to a 15-point lead right away. Uh, the other thing, and we'll talk more about it in the second segment, was Grammy K. Four fouls for him just really kind of prevented him from ever getting going. Uh, the fact that Braden Huff had the game that he had is is a huge uh, bonus for Gonzaga. It's huge proof uh, that their depth in the front court is good enough that they can withstand these kind of things. But that's against Portland. Can they withstand Grammy getting into foul trouble against Kentucky or against St. Mary's? Probably not, based on how Braden Huff played against St. Mary's last week. Those are the kind of things that that could be problematic. And seeing Graham get in foul trouble in a game like this. Is, is less than ideal. Let's put it that way. But one of the things we wanted to see in this game was how Gonzaga's young players step up. And they did that in a major way. We talked a little bit about some of those guys already. We'll talk more about Krainovic more about Dusty Stromer's performances, all coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl to all of you who celebrate at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and now placing some super bets. FanDuel has so many different ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, where currently the 49ers are two and a half point favorites, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many total points will be scored, and so much more. So new customers join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on to sign up. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, segment two here. Still Andy Patman, still Locked On Zach's podcast. We're still recapping Gonzaga's big win over the Pilots of Portland on Wednesday night. We're going to go through our five keys to a victory, the five things we were hoping to see or not see. from Gonzaga in this one and kind of how they played a role in the ultimate uh, end result for the Zags, which in this case was a 32-point victory. Key number one, avoid the trap. It's a classic trap game. Four days before a huge road trip against a blue blood program, you have a young team, like you're coming off of uh, an emotional loss, like every single thing that goes in the definition of what you would consider a trap game in college athletics was, was true of this game against Portland, every single one of them. And Gonzaga, that didn't even phase them, didn't even bother them one iota, 16 to one to start the game. This team was red hot as soon as the game got going. Nolan Hickman hits a three, Anton Watson hits a three, Ben Gregg hits a three, everybody's celebrating, pumping their fish, Shante Leggins, it's calling a timeout before we hit the 17 minute mark, like it was immediate. And to me, that's a sign that you avoided the trap game. There were lulls later in the game. You mentioned the second half, low. I think that was more some adjustments. Also, Portland hitting some big shots. Gonzaga then re- rebounded from that, got EK out of the game with the foul trouble, got Braden Huff in and let him go to work, and they were fine. They were fine. They won by 32. It was obviously not an issue for Gonzaga in this one, but... A fast start is how you kind of know that a team has avoided, like, falling victim to the trap game. They didn't look sluggish. They didn't struggle to, you know, get their actions going. They did what they needed to do to take care of business, put this one in the rear view mirror. And now, now they can start focusing on getting ready for this game in Lexington. Key number two was a lot of Graham E.K., and that was not the case in this one. The expectation was against a a UP front court that has no shot blockers, that has very little size, that hasn't prevented post players from scoring really at all this season, that Graham, who has been excellent, particularly in the second half this year, that he would continue to do what he does, that he would put up a 20 and 10 caliber game, that he would do it on nine of 12 shooting with a couple of free throws, the kind of performance that we've gotten used to seeing from Graham and that he, he never really got going. In this game, it just never really happened. He picked up a couple dumb fouls early in the game, and that has been a trend. That has been a trend for Graham E.K. He's a very aggressive player, and there's nothing wrong with that, but he has to avoid foul trouble. You can get away with it against Portland, case in point, Braden Huff going nuclear in this one. You can't get away with this against other teams. If, you know, DJ Wagner and Rob Dillingham are are hell bent at getting to the rim and driving past Ryan Nempart and Nolan Nickman, which is going to happen because those two guys are some of the best at getting to the basket, best guard to getting to the basket in the entire country, Graham has to avoid stupid fouls. He has to avoid bringing his hands down and hitting those guys and putting them on the free throw line and putting himself on the bench. More so, he has to avoid the offensive fouls. For those of you who watched this game, you saw in the first half, Graham E.K. had one of the most egregious hook fouls that I've seen in a really long time. At first, I thought Tyler Robertson, who was guarding him, was exaggerating. But you watch the replay and Graham starts to drive towards the basket and he brings his whole right arm and just blatantly hooks it around Robertson and pushes him to the side. Like, no referee is going to miss that call. Even WCC refs who have (laughs) been questionable, certainly this year, certainly last week, they're not going to miss that call. You have to avoid doing that. That's just a dumb foul. That's all it is. It's a dumb foul. And for a player with his years of experience, knowing his importance to this team, you can't do that. And then he commits two early fouls in the second half. He's got four fouls with 16 minutes to go. So he has to sit. Murphy brings him back in with seven minutes to go. He plays a few more minutes, gets back on the bench. He finished the game with seven points and seven rebounds on three of five shooting. He also had three turnovers and four fouls. This is one of the worst games we've seen from Graham Ike. And it was overshadowed by Brayden Huff. It was overshadowed by Anton Watson. it was overshadowed by the fact that this game was over in the first two minutes. But it was a, a, a concerning performance for Graham. This kind of performance against almost anybody else that Gonzaga plays, against San Francisco, against St. Mary's, against Kentucky, against Santa Clara, against any team they would face the NCAA tournament, this would be a big problem for Gonzaga. And part of that is because Braden Huff needs to be able to step up defensively. And one of the keys we had for this game as well was the confidence building opportunities that this game could present for both Braden Huff and Dusty Stromer. And for Huff, it was very clearly there 25 points. Like we said, 11 of 16 from the field. He had three assists. He had the seven rebounds. He dominated in the second half, 14 points on six of eight shooting. This was the kind of performance that we have seen from Braden already, but that we really wanted to see before this Kentucky game. Now, there is still probably not going to be a big role for Braden against Kentucky, barring foul trouble for Ek, which is why I wanted to come into this one next, because Braden is still really struggling defensively. And even in this game against Portland, he got scored on a handful of times. He got caught in bad switches on pick and rolls where he was a step too slow or out of position. Guys went around him pretty easily. Like he did not play well defensively. And he hasn't played particularly well defensively, at all this season, he's not a good defensive player. Part of it is just an experience. He'll get better as he's more comfortable with Gonzaga's scheme defensively, as he's more comfortable hedging screens and getting used to the speed and the pace of Division One college basketball. Like some of this is just growth that happens naturally. You don't often have fr- true freshmen being asked to play high level defensive roles. Chet Holmgren is an incredible exception to that regard, but for the most part, it is difficult. Shamit Karnowski struggled as a freshman defensively. Rob Sacre struggled as a freshman defensively. Like any Gonzaga bigs who have developed into good defensive players struggled as freshmen defensively. It's just part of the growth process. But because Braid is such a valuable piece offensively, because Graham EK gets in foul trouble – you really want to be able to play Braden against teams like Kentucky. And Kentucky doesn't have low post scoring. That's not really their MO, but their MO is guys who drive to the basket. They're going to do some some pick and roll stuff. They don't do a ton of pick and roll stuff. Quite frankly, last year when Gonzaga beat them, they probably should have done more pick and roll stuff. That was a, a, a criticism of Coach Calipari in that game was like, hey, get Drew Timmy and Switches and attack at him, and they didn't do it. So there's a chance they won't do it again in this game. But if Brayden Huff is forced to play, he will get bullied by Aaron Bradshaw, who hasn't had a particularly great year for the Cats. He could get bullied by Zvonimir Visic, who's only been playing for a couple of weeks and hasn't looked particularly great outside of his very first game, uh, which he found out he was eligible for an hour beforehand. But for Huff, the Zags need him. They need his floor spacing. They need his touch around the rim. They just need him to be at least playable defensively. And there's a real concern that he won't be. And that that limits Gonzaga's depth and that forces Graham E.K. to be really careful and not get any fouls. And that means he has to play less aggressively, not inside, not in his own style. It could cause some problems for Gonzaga in the front court. Key number three for them in this game was to perfect the pick and roll with all three guards. The Zags didn't really need to run the pick and roll in this game. They didn't really they ran it some and we saw it be successful but a lot of times there Gonzaga was pump faking a 3 getting a portland fender in the air and just driving to the basket that's not a pick and roll that's just beating your man off the dribble and scoring we saw that a handful of times uh, UP packed the paint and forced Gonzaga to shoot threes that was their strategy going into the game uh, i understand why it was we talked about it a little bit in the discord they're like doesn't Shante always do this and doesn't he always lose by 20 yes but when you're playing this year's Gonzaga team you have to try this. Like you have no depth, you have or you have no front court size. You know that Gonzaga struggled to shoot threes. Make them beat you from the outside, and Gonzaga did immediately and handily. But that was the strategy that Shante kind of had to deploy to see if he had any shot of winning this game, and it, it obviously did not work for him. But for Gonzaga, it meant they didn't really have to go into that pick and roll offense all that much. And then key number five: empty the bench. We saw this a little bit. Eight guys played in the first half. Jun Sukyo did not come in until the under-eight media timeout in the second half. That's kind of traditionally when he's been coming into games. Uh, He's seen some first-half action earlier in the year, but lately uh, in blowouts, he comes in at the under-eight. In non-blowouts, he doesn't play, and that's kind of that's not that uncommon for how Gonzaga has treated guys just outside the rotation historically. I know there's been some consternation about Yo's lack of playing time and what it might mean for him going forward. And I understand that, but this is how Gonzaga treats players who are just outside the rotation. Marfu's not going to change how he's treating those guys. It's just, it's always been the case. Uh, Yo had two points in this one. He had a board and a steal, one of two from the field. Pavle Sosius came in for the last couple of minutes of this one as well. He's still pretty darn raw. He took a couple shots. I didn't mind him taking those shots. He didn't make either of them. Committed a couple fouls. Just didn't didn't look quite ready for the pace of this game. He hasn't very much this year. I, he's not quite ready to be a Division One college basketball contributor, and that's okay because they're not asking him to be. Uh, the growth and development that's happening with him behind the scenes uh, could be very lucrative for Gonzaga down the line. But right now he's just a guy who gets a few minutes in these kind of games to kind of get his feet wet and get more comfortable playing at this level. And then Colby Brooks got in for the last couple of minutes as well. No Joe Few, but Colby did play, got a rebound, took a three-point shot and didn't knock it down. But still always good to see those guys. And obviously Luca, who we talked about earlier, who had a pretty fantastic game in this one, good to continue to see him get more uh, of a legitimate actual role within Gonzaga's rotation. Hopefully that'll stick for the rest of the year. Well, the NBA trade deadline is today, and we have some Zags in the NBA updates, as well as the discussion on who might get moved, if anybody. All that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Game Time. What would you do with an extra 100 bucks if you were in Las Vegas for the big game? I know, I'd be at the Orleans Arena at the Gator Bar. If you know, you know that is the place to be. Well, guess what? That does not have to be a what-if. That can be your reality. If you buy a big game ticket from GameTime using code VEGAS100, game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. We're just about a month away from conference tournaments, and Game Time would be a great place to get your tickets. Even if you just wanted to go for a day or two, Game Time is perfect for that type of event. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Right now, all Game Time users get $100 off a Super Bowl ticket with code Vegas100. Just download the GameTime app and use code VEGAS100 for $100 off that Super Bowl ticket. Or if you're not planning to go to the game, use code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. Get yourself a ticket to the WCC tournament for $20 off. Terms do apply. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. right, folks, closing out today's show, talking Zags in the NBA. Got a couple updates about three different Zags, and then we're going to close out the show just kind of talking about the Zags who were in the NBA and their likelihood of getting traded. Depending when you're listening to this, the trade deadline is in the afternoon on Thursday. So if it's past the afternoon on the West Coast, the trade deadline is probably already passed. You might already know if any of these Zags did get traded or not. Uh, Before we get to that, though, quick updates. Julian Strother is back. He has been out with a knee strain. His last NBA game was on January 4th. Uh, on Wednesday night, he returned and played for the Grand Rapids in the G League. Uh, he's going to probably make his way back to Denver here eventually, just getting him some some reps, some opportunities to play. Uh, Denver's obviously a very deep, very talented team. Peyton Watson, who's kind of a similar like end-of-the-bench, small forward player for, for Denver, has played extremely well as of late. So Julian's probably going to have to fight his way back to get some playing time, but Did himself a favor in the G League, 21 points in his first game back from that knee strain. Uh, He's averaging 5.9 points on 32% shooting from three in his first 33 NBA games. I want to also talk about Corey Kispert. He has just scored his 2000th career point a couple of days ago for the Washington Wizards. Fun fact, there are two players in the 2021 NBA draft class, who have 2,000 career points and 350 or more made three-pointers. Those two players are, of course, Corey Kispert and Jalen Green, starting combo guard, starting point guard for the Houston Rockets, considered one of, if not the best player, eh, one of the best players in that 2021 class. And and so for Corey to be in that conversation, it's a bit of a cherry-picked stat, but still indicates his ability to be a high-level scorer, at least to be a consistent scorer in the NBA. And of course, the primary reason that he's in the NBA, the primary skill that he brings to the association, which is his ability to shoot from deep, on the season, averaging and half points, two and a half boards, and one and a half assists per game. We'll talk about his trade candidacy a little bit later. Also, want to mention Rui Hachimura, who has stepped into a starting role for the Los Angeles Lakers. He has replaced Jared Vanderbilt, who is out with an injury. Uh, last two games, Rui has started. The Lakers are two and zero. Granted, he hasn't actually played all that well in those two games: seven points and four boards in one of them, nine and five in the other one, but. Uh, reporters were asking LeBron James and Anthony Davis uh, their thoughts on Rui being in the starting lineup. And they were both very complimentary. Uh, Co- uh, King James, LeBron's direct quote, he says, we have a lot of length, a lot of athleticism. Rui works well with us. And we're just trying to find him, especially when he's running out and has early seals in the post or whatever the case may be. He's got mismatches, so he works well with us. And Anthony Davis had a similar quote, basically saying, the bigger guys guard me and LeBron. And they put they often have to put a smaller guy on Rui because they want to put somebody with some length on on DM, or on uh, one of their guards on Austin Reeves in particular, and so what happens is they put one of the guards on Rui. And Rui gets down the floor, he gets in a post position, he, he bodies some guys. And that's how they have been utilizing him in the starting lineup. And both LeBron and Anthony Davis said this is a key thing that he's able to do for us and kind of bring to the roster. So that's been really good to see him kind of find a niche, find a role that works with the Lakers. He's averaging 11.3 points, a little under four boards and about an assist per game. He's also been mentioned as a trade candidate. So I want to get into that now to close out the show. I have three different categories. No chance they're getting traded. Very little chance they're getting traded. Decent chance they're getting traded. There are 10 zags in the NBA. They are broken up four, three, and three in those spots. If uh, any of you want to try to guess what it is, I bet you can come pretty close. We'll start with the none at all category. This is fairly easy. Chet Holmgren's not getting traded. 0.000% chance that he's getting traded. DeMontis Sabonis, not getting traded. Sometimes superstars get traded. There's not really any reason for the Sacramento Kings, who are in a playoff position, who are playing extremely well, to deal Devonta Sabonis. So there's no no risk there. Jalen Suggs. Earlier there was some rumors that maybe Orlando would, would make some big move and try to move some of their guard depth in order to bring in more of a superstar. But Suggs has played so well this year. He struggled the last couple of games, but he's played so well and shown so much development as a potential all-defensive Caliber guard and his three-point shooting has improved. It would just, it doesn't make sense for Orlando to move on from it. Move on from Markel Fultz If you need to move on from one of your guards, maybe even move on from Anthony Black, although I don't think they're going to do that either. But they're just, there's no reason for them to move on from Suggs. So he's not going anywhere. And the last one for kind of a different reason. The other three is Brandon Clark. He's suffered that Achilles injury. He's out for the year, at least he's has not played this year. I don't think he's expected back. That No trade really makes sense. He's signed to a long-term extension with Memphis. They're not going to deal his contract to get out of it. It just doesn't make sense. So Bam Clark's not going anywhere either. Those four guys locked in. If You have a jersey of them and you're feeling nervous about it? Don't. You're good. You're good with those four guys. Three guys who have very little chance of being traded. That would be Andrew Nembhard, Zach Collins, and Julian Strother. Nembhard's been mentioned when Indiana was looking to make a push for Pascal Siakam, when they've been looking to make some other big pushes to acquire some high-end talent uh, on, in the trade deadline, Nemhard was mentioned as somebody who could get tossed into those trades. But it was always very clear from following Tony East, the, co- the host of the On Pacers, from just other Indiana reporters, that they really didn't want to move him. He's under a relatively cost-controlled contract. He's played exceptional for them as a backup point guard. Like you don't give away somebody who's – if you're trying to trade for a piece to make you better and more likely to, to contend for a national championship or for an NBA championship, you're trying not to get rid of pieces that are also helping you. And it's tough to do. You got to give something to get something. But there wasn't a lot of motivation or isn't a lot of motivation, I should say, to trade somebody like Nemhard, unless you're getting like a monster piece back. And It just doesn't feel like there's something like that really cooking for, for the Pacers or really for a lot of the teams in the NBA. So I think he's pretty set. Zach Collins. Same kind of situation. He's obviously been in the league a little longer than Andrew, but a young player under a decent cost-controlled contract. He fits well with Victor Weminyama in the front court for San Antonio. They need guards pretty desperately, but the odds of them trading Collins to get a guard just doesn't seem all that likely. They'd be more likely to either trade picks or, To try to get a guard or trade some of their other veteran guys whose contracts they want to get out of, not as much Collins, or they're just gonna wait and try to draft a guard in the in the next upcoming draft and try to rebuild in that way. And then Julian Strother. I, I just don't Denver doesn't need much. I could see if they were trying to pull a package together to get somebody big. If the team was desperate to ask for Strother, I could see them being willing to part with him. Like I don't think he's untouchable. I just don't think there's really I don't think Denver's looking to do much, and I don't think they're looking to trade young, controllable talent uh, unless they absolutely desperately need something, and they just don't. They're just a good enough team that they don't really need that. And then the three guys who actually have a decent chance of getting traded, that's Kelly Olenek, Rui Hachimura, and Corey Kisper. The Wizards need to do something. They're focused on trading Tyus Jones, their starting point guard. They're also potentially tr- focused on trading Kyle Kuzma if they can find a deal for him out there. But Kisper, a couple years left on his contract, he's relatively affordable, a team that needs a movement shooter, could conceivably offer a, a, a first, maybe a future first, maybe a couple of seconds. Maybe Washington's willing to do that because he's just not doing enough for this team. Not because he's bad, but because Washington is so bad that a player like him is just He's just kind of there and it it, would make sense to get some future assets for him instead. Rui makes more sense as a salary match. I think the Lakers want to keep him. I think they like that. What he brings to the team. He's under contract for three more years, but if they're trying to go get like a DeMar DeRozan or somebody who's got a, a $35, $40 million contract, they need to be able to, to salary match. Rui's on a $15 million deal. They can package him with somebody like Gabe Vincent or somebody else on their roster and be able to send out $30 million. So Rui makes sense as a salary match, although I don't think the Lakers necessarily want to get rid of him. And then Kelly Olynyk, he's just kind of in that spot in his career where he's that veteran that makes sense for a team to go get as a backup center. He also logistically makes sense as a, a salary filler as well or a salary match. Utah is kind of in a weird spot. I don't think they're going to try to contend, so they might sell off some pieces. If they can get a future pick for Kelly Olinick, I could see them potentially doing that uh, as a trade as well. But we'll find out in a couple of hours, for most of you who are listening to this, whether any of these guys do end up getting moved or not. Uh, We're also going to come back on Friday with a big old preview of the game against the Wildcats of Kentucky that is going on on Saturday. So look out for that in your feed on Friday morning. But that's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. want to thank all of you for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. And until Friday when we get ready for the Cats, as always, go Zags.